Well, hey, how you doing? It's uh, Friday, Friday, if you care. If it's Friday, I mean, many of you are working this weekend, of course, as usual. Uh, Friday, September 24th, 2021. Friday, September 24th, 2021. Just one week before the end of the month. Get your rent ready. PVTV, Political Views TV Podcast. That's what you Google to find me. Uh, tell your friends to Google Political Views TV Podcast, and I'll show up right at the top of the search. Those four words exactly, Political Views TV Podcast. Man, I appreciate you coming every day. It's really nice of you. Uh, sorry yesterday was a little bit long. I'll give you uh, I had a lot of stuff yesterday. A little bit shorter today. A sh- very short one. Maybe, maybe we'll get it under 20 minutes. We'll see. Um, if you can, please bring someone with you today or this weekend. I, I suggest if you're going to bring somebody along, that you give them yesterday's show. It's long, but it had a lot of stuff in it. It had a lot of stuff. Anyway, you can also tweet to me questions or insights or fights at Cyberclops, C-Y-B-E-R-C-L-O-P-S. And now, Florida. Uh, A Republican lawmaker in Florida has proposed a bill that would prevent physicians from performing most abortions after around six weeks of pregnancy. Sound familiar? The bill, filed by State Representative Webster Barnaby. Anybody called Webster Barnaby uh, deserves to be beaten up when he's in uh, his fraternity in college. Uh, Webster Barnaby, this bill he did, is similar to the uh, law recently enacted in Texas. Under the bill, anybody who successfully sues an abortion provider under the law would be entitled to collect at least $10,000 to be paid out by the offending physician. As similar um, to the Texas law, anybody other than state officials are empowered to sue suspected abortion providers and those who knowingly aid someone in seeking an abortion. Physicians can only be successfully sued once for each abortion. So you got to be quick on the draw there. You got to be the first one. Unlike the uh, law in Texas, Barnaby's bill permits exemptions for abortions in the instance of rape, incest, domestic violence, human trafficking, or a uh, health condition that threatens the mother. Of course, there's, there's a lot of re- proof required for all this. Um, and as if it makes it much better, uh, 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 like he, he's pretending to care. He doesn't really give a crap about you. Now that I have your attention, let's try and fix the world. The January 6th commission investigating the insurrection issued its first round of subpoenas yesterday, targeting close aides of al- and allies of uh, Trump. The four subpoenas are going to former Trump chief of staff Mark Meadows, former Deputy Chief of Staff Dan Scavino, former advisor Steve Bannon, and Cash Patel, a former Chief of Staff to then-Acting Secretary of Defense Christopher Miller, who had also served as an aide to Republican Representative Devin Nunez. The former Trump staffers are being uh, issued subpoenas for private depositions and records all document requests are due by October 7th. The, com- the committee requests that Patel and Bannon appear on October f- uh, 14th, while uh, Scavino and Meadows have been requested to appear before the committee on October 15th. A select committee 
Oh, this is going to be interesting TV. I, I wonder if the networks are going to hold it. You think? I, I, I'd like to see what they have to say. Uh, if you're being called to testify, if you've been, you're being subpoenas, they already know what happens. They already know what happened. And, and what's going to be asked is just going to, just, they just want to catch you in a lie. That's the only reason you're being subpoenaed. <laughs> and you can't lie to Congress. You don't want to do that. Uh, a, a select committee aide told CNN yesterday that the panel expects, quote, all witnesses to cooperate with the select committee's probe. Congress has broad investigative authority and we won't permit our investigation to be stonewalled. And of course, Trump is no, well known for stonewalling stuff, right? And he's going to, and, and I, I'm betting this weekend, Trump is going to uh, uh, send some documents off to stop these people from uh, uh, testifying. I bet he's going to do that. Anyway, remember earlier this week, we called out Biden in his speech on ending the war in Yemen right after giving military aid to Saudi Arabia, which is destroying Yemen with bombs and all sorts of stuff. Uh, the House just passed an amendment to the annual defense bill that would cut off the flow to Saudi Arabia of the uh, logistical support and the weapons that were uh, just announced for them uh, and, and these weapons that are bombing civilians in Yemen. It was a 219, uh, 219 to 207 vote, which fell largely, largely along party lines with just 11 Democrats voting against it. Uh, Representative Ro Khanna, from uh, California, uh, of course, Democrat. Uh, the amendment uh, to HR 4350, the 2022 National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA, was one of dozens of amendments to the NDAA under consideration by the House this week. According to Khanna, the vote sent a clear message to uh, the Saudis end the bombing in Yemen and lift the blockade. Uh, Khanna said his amendment would, quote, would end all logistical support and transfer of spare parts to Saudi warplanes that are bombing Yemen, that are bombing schools, that are killing children, that are bombing civilians in the largest humanitarian crisis around the world. Now, if we could only do this with Israel on the other side of the, of the fight. Well, I mean, not on the other side of the Saudi Arabian fight. On the, uh, I'm not going to get into it. It's too complex. Um, moving on. Biden administration announced a new rule requiring hydrofluorocarbons, that's HFCs for you people, uh, uh, use, uh, requiring hydrofluorocarbon use uh, be cut by 85% over the next 15 years, implementing a measure in the American Innovation and Manufacturing Act, Act which was passed by Congress last year. Uh, HFCs uh, frequently leak uh, from appliances and they heat the atmosphere at a rate hundreds of thousands of times faster than carbon dioxide and are used widely in grocery stores across the country. Every grocery store you walk into probably has, has some fluorocarbon leaks. I'm sure of it. Uh, undercover investigators with the Environmental uh, Investigation Agency, uh, the EIA, found earlier this year that HFC leaks existed in the freezers and refrigerators of 55% of supermarkets 
It's surveyed in the Washington, D.C. area alone. According to the White House, the reduction in HFCs resulting from the rule is expected to be the equivalent of 4.5 billion metric tons of carbon dioxide and will generate about $272 billion in cost savings and public health benefits over the next three decades. And I have a feeling that $272 billion in cost savings is way too low of an estimate, and I'm betting it doesn't include uh, uh, public health benefits uh, from uh, saving of a warming atmosphere, you know, like uh, heat deaths, for instance. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the U.S. is on track to admit a historic low number of refugees for the fiscal year 2021. Uh, a lower admission rate than Trump's lowest admission rate. As of the end of August, according... Well, it's not entirely true, and I'll tell you why in a second. As of the end of August, according to the latest figures released by the U.S. State Department's Refugee Processing Center, the U.S. has admitted a total of 7,637 refugees. Of course... This is it. Those numbers, of course, don't reflect those admitted this week or the Afghan citizens. The State Department announced Monday that it proposed a boost in the refugee cap for the fiscal year 2022, doubling the target from the 62,500 that Biden administration set for 2021 to 125,000. Now, even though it's doubling the target, if you take into consideration uh, the Afghan refugees, I, I, I assume they're considered refugees. Uh, I believe that makes it a lower target because there's a, we have many thousands of refugees coming from uh, Afghanistan. But I haven't looked at this specific number, so I'm not sure if that's true. <clears throat> Moving on. In March, House lawmakers passed the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act which, among other reforms, bans police chokeholds and ends so-called qualified immunity for officers by a mostly party-line vote of 220 to 212. Now, qualified immunity is the issue. Uh, we've always hated that. I've always hated that. Even way back in the 70s, I was like, what the hell? Anyway. Um, uh, Senate negotiations stalled. Uh, most notably over over the issue of qualified immunity, which protects state and local officials, including police officers, from misconduct lawsuits. Uh, GOP negotiator Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina called qualified immunity a poison pill for members of his party. In other words, getting rid of qualified immunity was a no-go for the Republicans. Wednesday, uh, Wednesday came... Uh, on Wednesday came the collapse of uh, bipartisan congressional negotiations on that sweeping police reform bill. Republicans blocked everything, and when Democrats caved on most, Republicans didn't vote for it anyway. And that's what they do. I mean, let's face it. I've talked about this many times. Republicans delay a bill, delay a bill. They get as much as they want for it. They say, oh, okay, I'll, I'll vote for it if you do this. I'll vote for it if you do this. I'll vote for it if you do this. And then in the end, they don't vote for it. They just wanted to waste Democrats' time. This is GOP 101. This is what they do. <clears throat> uh, the ending of qualified immunity was definitely the problem. 
Democrats want accountability for police, while Republicans insist police should be above the law. Uh, We knew it was coming. Former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin has filed an intent to appeal with the Minnesota State Appellate Court over his murder conviction for the death of George Floyd. Uh, Excuse me. Chauvin was jailed for the murder in June for 22 and a half years. In documents filed yesterday, Chauvin raised 14 issues about his prosecution that he believed supported his request for an appeal, including the court's denial of a request for a change of venue. Chauvin said that in his opinion, the judge abused his discretion when he denied requests to sequester the jury throughout the trial, denied him a new trial due to what he described as juror misconduct, and did not allow him to strike what he said was clearly biased jurors from serving on the jury. Chauvin also listed issues with the trial itself, including the addition of the the third-degree murder charge and the court's failure to make an official record of numerous sidebars throughout the trial. Now, this third-degree, extra third-degree murder charge, there was a case that was pending in the court, and that had to resolve itself before they could add the charge. So I think that's legitimate. That's a ridiculous claim on Chauvin's part. Um, Separately, Chauvin filed a motion to put the appeals process on hold until Minnesota's Supreme Court reviews an earlier decision to deny him a public defender to represent him in his appeal. Uh, In an affidavit, Chauvin said he has had no attorney in the appeals process. He has no money. I, I, I mean, I assume the attorneys he had were uh, paid for by the, uh, in fact, I think they were paid for by the police department, and I'm sure he got donations. I don't know what happened to all that money. I'm sure he got Republican donations. Uh, Minneapolis Peace and uh, Police Officers Association stopped paying for his legal representation after his conviction and sentencing. So he's saying he can't afford um, an appeal. He must have gotten donations from Republicans, didn't he? He must have. I mean, I'm sure they gave him tons of money. What happened to all the money? Huh. That's very strange. Um, anyway, uh, they, they, they probably, sh- uh, in all honesty, uh, he may have money somewhere. I don't know what's going on with that. But in all honesty, he should be allowed a uh, public defender if he can't afford it. Obviously, he should be. Just so you know, the reason I haven't been covering this Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie thing is because I'm sick and tired of covering stories about missing beautiful blonde white women. It's kind of sickening. Not that her death isn't important. It is. It's horrible that she was, she was well, likely murdered. Um, allegedly murdered. I actually, they say it was murder. Uh, they just—it's just that Laundry hasn't been. Uh, he's a person of interest. He's a—he's a suspect, but he hasn't been accused yet. The issue is that there are hundreds of missing women of color all the time, and news media seems to like to latch on to the missing white woman. I'm sick and tired of it. This is not a new thing. I complained about the same BS in the 2000s and in the 1990s and in the 1980s. And of course, there's a history of this for centuries. 
I don't give a crap about uh, one missing white woman for every, for hundreds of uh, uh, women of color that go missing all the time. And you got to cover the missing white woman. I'm, I'm just so sick of it. I really am. Moving on. Holy crap. Listen carefully to the age. 88-year-old white dude, Chuck Grassley, is running for re-election again in the Senate. I've mentioned how we need to remove old white, guy, white guys from the Senate and from Congress if we are to get anywhere. The guy has been in office at the Senate since Reagan got elected the first time. He started his political career in 1959, since before Reagan was elected as governor (laughs) of California. Well, long before. I guess he's celebrating his whiteness by announcing he would run for re-election, specifically at age 88, to honor who he truly serves. And if you get that reference, you are probably aware enough to have a conversation with me. If you don't understand that reference, you can tweet to me and ask about it. I'll tell you. (laughs) All right. Hey, it's Friday. Don't forget to look for any flaming bags of crap left on your doorstep today and possibly tomorrow. Remember that flaming bag of crap is when the administration or somebody drops news late Friday or Saturday and hopes that it'll uh, uh, end up not being in the news cycle when news starts on Monday and people start watching, that it, that it disappears over the weekend. So don't forget to watch for that. That's it. Thanks for listening. As I said, it was going to be a short one today. What did we do? How long? What do we got here? Yeah, under 19 minutes. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. Friday, September 24th, 2021. Friday, September 24th, 2021. PVTV. Political Views TV podcast. That's what you Google to find me. I'll show up right at the top of the search with those four words. I truly appreciate you coming every day. It's it's really nice of you. Uh, Bring someone with you today or this weekend. Tweet to me questions, insights, or fights at Cyberclops. Or tweet me that question about why him announcing this at age 88 is important. And remember, always remember, Government profit is measured by the betterment of the people. Don't you ever forget it. I'm Peter Lawrence reporting from Los Angeles.